Once again, it's great to have everybody here. I know we have uh, lots of guests here with us. We want to welcome you. My name's Joe Crummy. I'm one of the leaders here at the Meeting Place Church. I'm going to be speaking this morning, and we've been doing a series from the New Testament book of Acts, so we're going to continue with that. And uh, once again, we want to welcome, I know we have people here who were at the wedding yesterday, so welcome. I know it's been a, a busy week for many um, people, and again, we just want to thank everybody who helped last weekend. And I just want to give an extra thanks to Sally Linden for helping with everything with the church weekend. Way to go, Sally. And I know it's been Congress week, so I don't know, we might have some guests here uh, who are here for Congress as well. Welcome, and welcome to Fredericton and to the Meeting Place Church. And uh, we're going to continue today from Acts chapter 5. We've got quite a long passage of scripture to read. And I just want to thank everyone also. We mentioned it last um, Sunday, but not everyone was there. Uh, as we've been speaking on giving the last couple of weeks, I want to thank everybody for giving to Gift Day. And our Gift Day is a special offering we take a couple times a year. And this year it's going towards, we've got Don and Stephanie Smith coming to be with us for three or four months in the autumn to help their expenses. And also we're looking at planting uh, churches here in Canada as well. And so we want to give towards that. And we've got Reese and Sarah going to Vancouver and we're looking at some things here in the Maritimes. And so we're able to give. And so again, as of um, today... We were at uh, $36,171.66. So well done, everybody. Praise God for that. So just to say, in my uh, frame, I was hoping, oh Lord, minimum 20000 I thought faith goal would be 30000 so 36 and above. And you can still give, so I like round numbers. So if we can get to 40, that would be even better, just to say you can still give. All right, Acts chapter 5, and this is going to be, uh, this is a powerful um, chapter, and so hold on, because here we go. So let's read it together. We believe in the Bible, we believe it's for today, and so we're going to read 42 verses, so you've got to kind of stick with me, but I don't think you'll be bored, okay, because this is a pretty action-packed, just one chapter from the Bible, but it's full of everything. So let's get started, okay? So we're picking it up. And uh, the end of chapter 4, the early church, remember Jesus has ascended back to heaven after his resurrection. He sent the Holy Spirit. The believers start really with just a group of 120, 3,000 are at it, and then 5,000 are at it. It's growing, and first thing that happens is persecution. And we see that they have to gather in homes and all the different things. They have to share things. And we just read about a guy named Joseph and how he sold a field. He gave it to the apostles to help the poor. And this is where we pick up the story. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. And young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Do I have your attention yet? I said this is going to be a a difficult one today, but here we go. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, 
and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, and none of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Just amazing stuff. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at, the break, at daybreak and began to teach. Then when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all of the senate of the people of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. What a surprise. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed. No kidding. They were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. So they won't even say the name of Jesus. They're just say this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. So Peter launches in again. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you are about to do with these men. So we've got sort of a voice of reason here. For before these days, Thutis rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And this is the conclusion. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. All right, well, let's just pray for a moment. Let's ask for God's help as we dive into some of these things.
pray that God will speak. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you today again uh, for your word. We thank you that you are the risen Savior, that you're Lord. We thank you that you're alive today. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here. And we pray now as we open your word that you would speak to us, that we know your truth, that it would change us, that we would be ever-changing to be more like your son Jesus. Help me now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, as we read these things, as I was going through it again this week, a couple of things stood out, and that is just God is front and center in this chapter. There's a lot of things going on. I mean, we've got people dying, we've got angels appearing, we've got people being, you know, miraculously freed from jail, we've got signs and wonders, we've got Peter's shadow falling on people to be healed, we've got persecution, I mean, a lot going on. But here's the thing that stood out to me over and over and over again is this, the reality of God in everyday life. So I don't know about you, what, as we read that, what stands out to you, maybe a lot of things, but for me it's this, the reality of the living God in everyday life. You cannot avoid that God is real in this passage. He's everywhere in all kinds of different ways. You can be mad at him, you can be angry with him, you can be happy with him, but you can't deny that God isn't real and active. And one of the, we're just going to look at two things this morning, powerful things. We're just looking at the awe of God and the power of God. And the first thing is the awe of God. Peter says this, you've not lied to men, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his laugh, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. Great fear came upon the church and those who weren't in the church. And we just want to take a look at some things this morning I think we can learn from this passage. First of all is that we can't get away that God is holy. And the things we're going to share this morning, most of it comes from just trying to, again, get our priority back on who God is. Because in the world we live in, we are the center of the world. So as I've said many, many times again, I have to say it over and over and over again, all of our culture here in North America, all of our education system, everything is usually about me and you, okay? Human. So we have a phrase, and I believe it's little g, the god of our age, is humanism, a humanistic perspective. What are we saying? We're saying that human, us, human beings, are the center of the universe. That, that's the world we live in. We don't realize it as an idol, because we think an idol, we've got Buddha over here, we bow down, and we think, I don't have any idols in my life. But in here, in our heads and in our hearts, everything that comes at us, and I don't know if you read a very fascinating article this week, uh, a new book's coming out. Oh, I just lost his name, who uh, interviewed all the Hollywood producers from the last 40 years and basically has them admitting that they've pushed a liberal agenda, not progressive, conservative, liberal, but liberal left agenda in the media to influence culture. And they're admitting it. They're saying, yeah, absolutely, we, we use. And so it went through all the different shows, right, from MASH through Friends, everything, just saying how they purposely get stuff in to push and change culture. And it's just like, well, just confirm what we already knew. I don't want to get too much into liberal, conservative thing. Just the point is, culture and what we watch on TV, Internet, everything, really affects us. And affects us so much that when we read this, most of us, if we're honest, I think, are offended by God. How dare God strike these poor people dead? Who gave him the right? And we think of God, just like, God, that doesn't fit. 
Well, it doesn't fit because most of us culturally come from a very humanistic point of view. That we all have rights, so it's about my rights. And don't get me wrong, human rights are a good thing when, because a lot of things human rights have come from have been people being abused. So don't get me wrong. All I'm saying is sometimes we think, we take human rights to say, I'm the most important person and I get to decide what's right or wrong. And that's the culture we live in. And we say, what about Ananias and Sapphira's? What about their rights? And we never ask the question, what about God's rights? Okay, so this is where we're coming from. And we have to say right from the beginning, God is holy. Okay, God is a holy God. And we can't even come up with the words what that means. Holy means set apart, okay? Other. You know, we can't, we've, God is not like us. And the Bible uses all these different words to describe the character, the nature, the attributes okay, of who God is. And we sang a lot about them this morning. God is righteous. God is faithful. God is true. God is an all-consuming fire. Okay? God is Father. God is Spirit. We have to get, we have to realize God is holy. And most of the time, that offends us. The holiness of God offends us because it impinges upon our rights. And the second thing that comes out of that that we can learn from is the seriousness of sin. So this is amazing because we, we are a grace-filled church and we preach grace all the time. Absolutely, that God loves us and even though we've done wrong, God can forgive and absolutely, that's totally it. But you know what? You realize the grace of God when you realize the seriousness of sin. So the more you realize the seriousness of sin, the more amazing the grace of God really is. Because if we realize and we're honest, we are more like Ananias and Sapphira most of the time than we are like Jesus, probably. Or at least when we're starting out, as Lisa said, either before we're Christians or even when we're saved in that beautification process okay, called sanctification. We actually have probably have more in common with Ananias and Sapphira than we do Jesus. And the reality is this, folks, and I don't mean to scare anyone, it's just truth. God, if he wanted to, for every one of us, every time we lied, had false motives, all those things, God is right to take our lives because he gave them to us. That is the reality we live in. And if we don't realize that, we haven't done a good job of teaching on the character of God. And that's what makes his grace so amazing. Because every one of us deserve death. Whether it's Ananias and fire, and I even believe God even, Peter even gave them a chance to repent. He said, did you do this? And if they would have said, actually, you know what? No, I didn't. I think they would have lived. There's even grace even in this story. Did you do this? Did you do it for this much? So they said, you know, actually, you know what? No, we didn't. I think they would have been saved. There's grace even among that. But folks, sin is serious. We have to realize that. And again, it doesn't mean if we sin this week and all that, you're here today going, oh, my soul, I've got to leave right now or God's going to strike me dead. Okay? The reality is, that's true. Okay? So don't, that, that is the reality. But His grace is amazing. And thankfully, as we look through the Bible... There's more evidence of God saving people 
and Ananias and Sapphira. Could happen. It happened in the Old Testament. We have Achan, right when the Jews were starting to come into the promised land, he stole stuff, he hid it, they got defeated. He was destroyed at the beginning. God's setting a precedent. And there's a seriousness to sin that should be a wake-up call to us. Okay, let's continue on. We'll talk a little bit more about it. The other thing we get from this is God is all-knowing. God knows everything. Now, that is really scary, and that's really comforting at the same time. But it shows to us the importance of having a clear conscience. God gives us a conscience, and when we become Christians, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Part of what the Holy Spirit does, he convicts us of sin and the things of righteousness. And it just shows the importance, the importance, the importance of having a clear conscience and listening to our conscience, listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That we want to be brutal in our attitude towards sin and we want to be really diligent and vigilant, especially against small sins that turn into big sins. And here's God searching Ananias Sapphira's heart. Now the thing is, we just saw from Joseph before that, he, it appears he did the same thing. He sold a field, he gave it, and they called him encouragement. I mean, they gave him a new name. They called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. Ananias Sapphira do the exact same deed, but what's different? It's the motivation behind it. And God knows our hearts. And folks, this is again a wake-up call for us. You know what? God knows our hearts. And that's scary in the sense of sometimes our motives aren't right, and sometimes we're trying to do things out of deceit. You know, we're trying to maybe make us look more religious and more better by putting on these things. God knows our heart. But it's also this. God knows our heart. Okay, when we're misunderstood as well, that maybe we do things, maybe we don't have any money to give to gift day, but he knows our heart is to give. That's a comforting thing. It's a very comforting thing. And it's the importance of a clear conscience before God, that we can have a clear conscience, that we can walk in the light. Because Jesus paid it all, we can confess our sins, and we can be cleansed, and we can walk humbly before our God. That's the good news we're going to get into even more. And we see this. God is judge. And again, this is such an offense to our minds that God is the judge. Folks, the church belongs to God. This church is God's. He bought you with a price. He's filled you with his Holy Spirit. It's his seal that's upon you. And he's judge over his church. It's his government. If you look at us as a church family, because there's all kinds of phrases that get used in the New Testament for the church. One is, we're the family of God. God is the Father. And as a dad, guess what? I get jealous for my kids in the right way. I get very protective of my kids. So if a stranger on the street is talking to them, radar is up, I'm there. Who are you? What are you doing? I'm protecting my kids. I'm jealous for them. I pay attention to what they watch on TV. What are you watching? Let's sit down together. Let's talk about it. I'm jealous for my kids because I love them. And they're my responsibility. Jesus, husband, church, bride. Jesus is a very jealous husband in the right way. Some guy's talking to my wife that I don't know. I'm going to be there to find out who it is. I don't care how big he is, anything else. This is my wife. I'm jealous 
for my wife. You see God's heart for his church? It's a different perspective, isn't it? He's the king over his kingdom. He's the father of his family. Jesus is the husband to his church. And folks, we don't like to talk about it. God's a jealous God. He's not jealous because, oh, we have stuff that he doesn't have. That's not the right jealous, okay? He's passionate. He's a lover. He loves his church. And that's why sin is so serious. That he knows if sin gets in, it can destroy his church. It destroys the family. It destroys the fellowship in the family. It destroys the intimacy between a husband and a wife. Sin kills. Sin destroys. And God's serious about sin. Now the problem is, in our modern day, we go two extremes when we talk about sin. So things that are against God's will, God's commands, heart issues, all that. We go two extremes. Either one extreme is we're way too lax on sin. We don't even talk about it. Okay? So many churches today, to be honest, you'll never hear this message. Because okay? we never talk about sin. Because that would be too uncomfortable. It's not politically correct. All those different things. Okay? At the other extreme, over way over here, okay? sin is all it gets talked about. And it's like you've got a private investigator following you around from someone from church to see what you're doing 24 hours a day to catch you in sin so that it can be a big issue. And folks, somewhere in there, we don't want to be too lax about sin in the church. I'm not talking about outside of the church. I'm just talking about in the church. As Paul said, we can't even judge the world. That's, you know, but in the church, we can. And we walk this tension of not wanting to be too lax about sin but we don't want to be all consumed with it either and folks one of the things we're doing that we'll just talk about in the next couple of weeks we exercise church discipline in our church and so many times and most of the time thankfully there are secret sins well guess what we deal with them in secret in a sense that we know as elders of the church with life group leaders and all the different people that maybe are in different ministries, we deal with it behind the scenes. If it's a private sin, we deal with it in private. Now, if it's a public sin, sometimes you have to deal with it in public. And we do that all the time. But thankfully, most of it's behind the scenes. We respect people's privacy and rights and all of that, but things get dealt with. You might not see it up here, but we deal with things all the time. It's a very busy thing because we... We don't always walk right with God. And we do make wrong choices. We sin. And there's consequences to that. But what we're trying to do is we're trying to help educate you from a biblical point of view what's expected as a member of this church and how we're going to walk you through a process if things come up so that you understand. Because the goal is always this. The goal is always restoration. The goal is always we want to get you back right with God. We want to get you back right in fellowship with your church in your family, that's our goal. But there's a process through it. And hopefully by going through the process, at some point you'll come to repentance has to come first. You realize, I admit, I've messed up. I admit I've done this. Sometimes you have to make restitution. We see that in the New Testament. If you stole stuff, well, you've got to give it back. Okay? So there could be restitution involved. But the goal is always this. It's restoration. It's to get you to restore it. And that's the grace of God. Okay? And that's taking sin seriously also taking the grace of God 
seriously, that you don't have to be disqualified, that you can be restored. And there's a healthy way to be able to do that. And we want to, as elders, be better in communicating what that looks like and how we do that so that you're not taken by surprise. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll be introducing something. We're already doing them. We just want to more clearly explain why and how we do those things. Folks, the bottom line is this, because we're going to move on to the second point. We're going to talk about the power of God. We want, and I know we're praying all the time. We're at prayer meetings Sunday nights. We're praying for the power of God. We want to see signs and wonders. We want to see healings. We want to see deliverance. When we're praying that, whether we know it or not, what we've just read, that comes with it. So if we want to see miracles and healings and signs and wonders and angels, hallelujah, we want to know God's alive. Yes, he cleans up his church when he does that. So we better wake up to the reality of, I got hidden stuff, get rid of it now. Bring it into the light. Take the initiative. Say, I'd rather, I'd rather me come forth and confess it than to be found out. Because God loves his church. He's a jealous father. He's a jealous husband. He wants us pure. He wants us right with him. He knows that sin, as it weeds its way in, kills and destroys like a cancer. And God's like a surgeon. He cuts it out early. And sometimes it's painful. But it's good for you, for the whole church. Can you imagine today? What's the biggest complaint you hear about church today? We might get five or six. We might get a top ten list right there. That's a dangerous thing. One of the biggest things I always hear, because as a pastor, as I told you many times, I go on a plane. I hate telling people what I do because they go weird on me right away. Okay? As a pastor, I lead a church and everything. Number one, one of the number one answers on the board is this. We're all a bunch of hypocrites. Well, folks, what we just read in the awe of God cuts down on hypocrisy in a hurry. So if we don't want to be hypocrites, then we have to be ready for God to search our hearts and to know us and for God to clean up his church. That's part of what comes with the awe of God for his glory because we represent him. Okay? Now, you've got to hear me. There's grace and mercy. Jesus paid it all. Okay? We don't try to clean up ourselves on our own. Okay? I'm the type of person, man, we were looking one time when we had kids in that bringing in, you know, Molly made or someone to help us. This is how I'm wired. I would clean up the house first before they got there, okay, because I wouldn't want them to see how bad the house really was. Okay, that's my personality, okay? And sometimes we can do that before God as well. It's like, Jesus, I know you're my Savior, but let me just get a few things. I'll fix up myself first, and then I'll present myself to you, and then you can save me after I put my makeup on. That's basically what we're doing in a spiritual sense, okay? We can't do it that way. Jesus Christ died for the real you. And you have to have that revelation sometimes. I know I had it many years ago. I realized that Jesus didn't die for the Joe Crummy I thought was a good Joe Crummy that everyone liked. They got pats in the back that was cool and all of that. I was cool at one time, according to some people. <laughs> and I would present myself to God and say, God, I can understand why you would save me because I'm doing pretty good right now. But that's not the Joe Crummy Jesus came to save. He came to save the real Joe Crummy. He came to save me and my struggles and my insecurities and my battles and my flesh. No one else sees. That's who Jesus really came to save. And he knows us. 
So folks, the grace of God is partnered with the awe of God. When we realize, Jesus, okay, you're a jealous husband. That God, you're an all-consuming fire. When I realize that I'm dust compared to you, and yet you sent your son, your best only begotten son, to pay the price for my filth, my life, and that this great exchange takes place, and all I have to do is receive that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. That's all I have to do. And then you give me your Holy Spirit. Wow. Amazing grace. Okay. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You won't understand amazing grace until you know the awe and the holiness of God. That the gospel is really for God. It's a way for us to worship him who deserves all worship. That's the awe of God. And folks, I encourage you, read books about God, about who God is. Okay? Read John Piper, read John Stott, read these books that talk about how incredible God is. And as you do that, you will understand and you'll be amazed at how Jesus is our salvation, that he gives us access to that God, this God that we can worship. Incredible. We move on to the power of God. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Hallelujah. It's like we get pumped up for this. Now, it's amazing. We see two things happen. Okay? Same thing happens. People are prayed for. People are healed. All that. And we get two opposite reactions. The first reaction is this. People are very alarmed at the manifest presence of God and it says no one dared join them. You know what? And that happens all through history. God moves and it's amazing because sometimes people are like, if I only saw God move, you know, if I saw an arm get stretched out and if I saw, you know, God do creative miracles, I would believe. And many times God does them and people are like, whoa, man, that's freaky. That's strange. I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with that, man. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's alarming. It also does this. It brings persecution. The more God moved in power, the persecution increased. Okay? First, it was just Peter and John put in jail. This time, all the apostles were put in jail. First time, they were just kind of given a lecture. This time, they were beaten. And sometimes, we can see God move, and we can think, man, if people were just here and they saw that, man, everybody would believe Folks, it's alarming when God works. It brings persecution. Hey, you're going to be made fun of. You might not get beaten in our culture, but you're going to be made fun of. People are going to ostracize you. People are going to say, man, you're man, it was hilarious because I was driving last month with one of my friends who's not a Christian, and uh, we are talking, and it was just, I just laughed at our conversation because... He was saying all the stuff about all the things he was involved in. And then he's like, and he mentioned a few churches in our city. And he's like, man, they're just way too religious. He said, man, they're just way too committed. They spend all their time doing everything. And I'm just like, he has no idea, does he? <laughs> Anyways, I was just able to share with him about why we're committed to our local church. It's because what God has done for it is not religion, not religious activities. It's a heart thing. No, we do this. God's done this for us. We want to serve because God's put us here. Okay? 
But there is a stigma attached to it. Okay? Folks, if you're a follower of Jesus, there's a stigma attached to it. And you'll be persecuted in one way or another. Okay? And God works. It's alarming. And sometimes no one wants to join in. And you have to realize that. And we did it jokingly last Saturday night. But there's a lot of truth to the words in the song we sang. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find out it's true? I don't really care if they label me a Jesus freak. There ain't no disguising the truth. You guys are good. People think it's strange. Does that make me a stranger? My best friend was born in a manger. Okay? Actually, great lyrics. And you're going to be accused of being a Jesus freak if you're passionate for God. And our persecution today might look different, but you're going to be persecuted. And we have to realize sometimes the things that we think would make our friends come to God actually are going to alarm them and push them away. And we just got to be aware of that. But at the same time, the opposite thing happened. It became very appealing. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes, both men and women. Folks, that's all throughout church history. That's the way. When the power of God comes, it's alarming to some. And some are like, I don't even want to be a part of that. Okay, There's a cost to it. I don't want anything to do with it. For other people, it's like, wow, this is what I've been looking for all my life. And even in persecution, people like, I know this is the real thing. Okay, And they come to Jesus. They're saved. They're at it to the church. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're baptized. It's great having people baptized, identified with Christ last week. And folks, that's what we're going for. But you just got to be aware as we seek to say, we pray all the time, God, we want your manifest presence. We want you to come and move in power. What we're praying for is this. We're praying for God. You have permission. Okay, it's your church. You come and search our hearts and know us and make changes. God, we want signs and wonders to confirm your word. We want people to know that Jesus is alive today, that this is real. We're not just making it up. It's not just religion. Okay, it's a living vibrant relationship with the living God. And we ask that many would be saved and at it. That's what we're praying for. And we see that. We see that God is active. And again, I come back to, if you just sort of one maybe word for chapter 5, God is real. God is active in every way. That there's signs and wonders. I mean, being put in prison, an angel miraculously gets them out. I don't even understand that. And I don't, Ryan's, I don't know how we do that, answer that metaphysically and everything else, okay? But God did it. It's a sign and a wonder, okay? There's healings all over the place. Can you imagine, like, people bringing, you know, we thought Jesus came. Peter, I mean, Peter who had denied Jesus. Talk about the grace of God. Now filled with the Holy Spirit. They tried to get even in a shadow so they could be healed. Okay, I don't understand that. But boy, wouldn't it have been something to be a part of. Hey, there's deliverance. People came with evil, unclean spirits, as we see all throughout Jesus' day. And they were set free. Folks, that's the grace of God. That's the compassion of God. Okay? And, but it's equally God. At the beginning, Ananias and Sapphira, God is judged. He's holy. Equally, he's compassionate and gracious because he wants people to be healed and set free. That is the God who we worship, we know. And there's proclamation. They proclaimed, again, Peter, so bold, getting up and saying, this is Jesus, 
We have to obey God. We're going to speak the name of Jesus. You killed him, hung on a tree. God raised him from the dead. Ascend it. He's alive today. Just going, going, going. It says, it's for your repentance. It's for your forgiveness of sins. And they're like, would you just be quiet about that name? And this time they added, next thing, they beat them. Okay? And it's amazing. John Stott says this. This is a great quote. John Stott says in his commentary, he has this, this little phrase, says, the honor to be dishonored, the grace to be disgraced. And he just talks about how they were following the teachings of Jesus. Jesus told them, you're going to be persecuted in my name. They were actually following Jesus. And actually, what do we have? We have answer to prayer. So John Linden spoke a couple weeks ago on that section in chapter 4 in prayer. What did they pray for? They prayed, Sovereign Lord, hear our prayers. Would you fill us with boldness to proclaim the name of Jesus? Would you stretch forth your hand and perform signs and wonders? Chapter 5, the prayer got answered. It's great. That's why we pray. (laughs) We'll be praying tonight. We pray every Sunday night in our life groups on our own. We have to pray. This comes from heartfelt prayer. And they lived it out, the prayer that was answered. I'll close with this. John Stott says this. Persecution will refine the church, not destroy it. If it leads to prayer and praise, to an acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God and of solidarity with Christ and his sufferings, then however painful, it may even be welcome. Whew. That's a dangerous thing to pray and to believe, isn't it? That actually maybe church in North America isn't doing so well sometimes because we don't have enough persecution. In conclusion, when they left the presence of the council, rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And just as review, as we've already said, God is holy. God is real. He's worthy to be praised. He is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Adam Langell read out that from Revelation at the beginning of our meeting about how Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, is going to receive all glory, honor, and power. And our part is, maybe some of us, we need to repent today. we got to get right with God, but we do it through Jesus. We don't clean ourselves up first. We go right to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm not worthy. Okay, You know my heart. I've messed up. I confess it to you, and I ask because of what Jesus has done for your forgiveness. I ask that you would cleanse me from within, that you'd put a right heart within me, that I have a clear conscience, that you deal with my guilt, my shame, my condemnation. I want to be right with you. I can be in the light, and I can have fellowship with you and with each other. And I can be a light in this world. And some of our biggest testimonies in church life are, we've messed up, like Peter did, but God's restored us and loves us. So I'm not going for perfection that we've got to put on a mask and everybody has to look good. That's the opposite of what I'm speaking about. We've got to be real with one another and with God. And sometimes it starts with repentance. God, search my heart, know me. And if any you got any niggles, okay, that you know what, I just know that you know, I've got some secret sin or I've, got, you know, I've done something, get it right with God now. Okay. The other thing is, we just realize we want the power of God. We want these things... And we have to realize that for some it's going to be alarming. For others it's going to be appealing. And we have to believe that the power of God is active today. 
you know what? And we've already kind of done it during worship, haven't we? Dan had that great picture. Okay, and people responded. You know, we want to pray again this morning too. We want to pray for physical healing. We prayed for, I think, a lot of the things that took place earlier were more like for, which is great. That's God healing and setting people free as well. Sometimes it's our mind and our emotions and things like that. But we want to pray for physical healing as well. We believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever. And our part is we ask. Okay? I got nothing to give you, folks. So if you come to me for prayer, you know what? I'm not going to be the one that heals you. But we're going to pray that Jesus does. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will fill you. We're going to pray that God would save you. Maybe you've never been saved. Maybe you've never prayed that prayer to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Okay? We want to be able to point you to Jesus. Jesus saves. Jesus heals. Jesus fills. Jesus restores. Jesus redeems. The grace of God is amazing because it reveals the awe of God.